0: Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 38. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode 38, I sit down with Tristan Katz and Megan Nicholson to address a few common transphobic talking points and discuss how we can support our trans and gender expansive community members. Tristan and Megan are both educators who focus on LGBTQ awareness, advocacy, and wellness at the center of their work. In this interview, Tristan and Megan discuss gender identity, why we should all be invested in dismantling the gender binary, and why representation matters. They debunk many commonly held harmful narratives about trans and gender nonconforming folks and talk about action steps for learning and beyond. This conversation invites us all to take a deeper dive into understanding gender identity and creating affirming space for our trans siblings. Just a note before we jump into this conversation. Um, This conversation was recorded originally in response to the March 22nd, 2021 Jay Brown Yoga Podcast interview with Kachi Ananda on the topic of gender spectrum and biological sex. Both Jay and Kachi are cisgender, not transgender individuals. And the conversation they shared was rooted in biological exceptionism, trans-exclusionary feminism, transphobia, homophobia, racism, and tokenization, and a lot of us found it really hurtful and problematic and felt the need to address it publicly to stand in solidarity with our trans and non-binary siblings. And this is one of the ways that we're doing that, by platforming and amplifying the voices of trans and non-binary folks on this topic. So with that being said, here we go. I hope this conversation is illuminating to you, and thanks to Tristan and Megan for having it. I'm really excited to be joined today by Megan Nicholson and Tristan Katz. Welcome, y'all. Hi. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great to have you both here. Um, I wondered if we could begin by having each of you just introduce yourselves, tell us your um, the work that you do in the world, and how the last couple of weeks have been for y'all. So Tristan,
1: uh, or Megan, do you want to begin? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, My name is Megan Nicholson. I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. I am a white, queer, gender expansive, able-bodied, access to funds if I need them, English as a first language, person with a lot of privilege is what I'm trying to say, Um, person who focuses on educating uh, folks on how to become affirming for queer and trans folks while also uh, validating the trans and queer experiences. Um, I do this through um, an intersectional lens while also remaining rooted in, in wellness. So just a little bit about me. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Tristan. Yeah, my name is Tristan Katz. I use they them pronouns. I am uh, white, trans non-binary, queer, Jewish, um many layers of privileged as well um able-bodied neurotypical um college educated middle class all the things um human being in the world and uh i am a writer educator and digital strategist i do um marketing and business consulting mainly for yoga teachers and wellness folks. And I also teach and facilitate, um, trainings on creating trans affirming spaces and, um, stepping more into doing some marketing workshops as well. Again, mainly for yoga and wellness folks. Yeah. And, um, I know Amber, you had also asked about how the last couple of weeks have been. And so I'll start that and then yeah. we can circle back to May. Um, uh, it's, it's been a really challenging couple of weeks. Um, Um, You know, we're not quite sure when this podcast is going to air, but Megan and I collaborated on um, a series of public statements and actions um, in the aftermath of a a podcast interview that was um, that was really problematic, transphobic, racist and and um, hurtful, hurtful and harmful in many ways. Um, And that was brought to my attention that the conversation was out there by a a person in the yoga community um, who who just kind of sent me a DM on a Monday morning and said, Hey, have you heard this? And, um, I skipped around and listened to some of it, but, but got so deeply activated and and triggered by it, um, almost immediately, uh, that I reached out to May and said, Hey, can you hold this with me? Um, and Megan was like, I'm there, send me in. (laughs) And, And both of us were really, you know, um, on fire about, um, bringing a a conversation around this, bringing this into the public awareness that this was really transphobic and harmful. Um, and, and yet in the midst of this fire, we were also navigating the way it was landing in our, in our bodies, um, in our spirits and the way in which we were both being harmed. Um, and so it's been a lot to hold. Uh, we've been navigating a lot of like just total exhaustion and overwhelm and burnout and emotion, like, I cried to two random people who I'd never met before last week on Zoom. <laughs> like, this is real, right? I'm laughing, but it's real. Um, yeah. And we both took space over the weekend and are trying to come back to centering our own well-being um, and recognizing how vital that is while also um, hoping to hold people accountable, though, right now. Um, it seems like without much success. Yeah. May, do you want to share a little bit from your perspective?
1: Yeah. Um, I was really grateful that the podcast, uh, was sent to me by Tristan and, um, at the time I was in a really great space to hold it. Uh, then I listened to the podcast and realized took me a couple of days, I think to realize that I was experiencing symptoms of being gaslit. Um, I, I forgot to mention, that I'm also neurodivergent. I um, deal with OCD um, on a daily or a weekly basis. It's absolutely horrendous. Um, I got triggered in an OCD space, uh, along with being gaslit that led me into uh, questioning if I was who I said, said I was that I was um, inauthentic that I was ill intentioned that I mean, just questioning everything. Um, that for me lasted about two weeks. Um, I'm just now coming out of it, um, and at the same time, being a person with a lot of privilege and also being really fired up about what was happening, um, I felt, you know, we both felt it was our responsibility to speak up. Um, I don't think we realized just how much momentum it was going to get. Um, so it was it was really overwhelming in a lot of ways. It was really. Brought me personally, I'll speak from my perspective, like a lot of hope um, that people are the way I've been speaking to it is that I felt I feel like people who don't hold the trans or non-binary identities uh, weren't really aware of how. Uh, transphobia is perpetuated in yoga and wellness spaces and that this episode just made it entirely apparent to everybody um this is not new to our community but people are really waking up to it which i'm grateful for but it's just been a lot to hold uh the harm that i was personally experiencing while also being kind of i guess we kind of spearheaded this accountability process (laughs) that's not working on the person we're trying to hold accountable, but is bringing people into the conversation and the knowingness that they need to be a part of the change that needs to take place in the wellness space.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know we chatted about this a little bit before we were recording, but, you know, I think it's worth naming for folks that are listening that even though, you know, a lot of folks who educate on these issues around diversity or inclusion or um, just making sure that our all of our students are all human beings can be affirmed, like many of us hold marginalized identities as well. And so even if, you know, we have an educator who, let's say, is a, a black woman who teaches about race equity or a trans person. Who's teaching about trans advocacy? Like, yes, we we've chosen to make that our life work and to do that education. And there's always a personal cost um, to us as well when we ask marginalized folks to do that education. Where essentially what we're asking is like, hey, justify your right to exist to all the other people who don't have to really think that way. And so, um, I I appreciate you both sharing. I know it's really you know personal, and it's also political and it's also your work. And so I appreciate you both being here because I know there is a, there's a cost to this type of work. And so I know, I know both of you've experienced that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, when we show up to, to hold space as an educator, as a facilitator, um, there are certain like boundaries and levels of consent around how we show up in that moment. Right. And, um, you know, we're, we're we're teaching it and we're living it, as you're saying, Amber. And on top of that, we're having to um, deal with the subtle ways that transphobia shows up on a day-to-day basis outside of that educational space, right? So, you know, I can go to the grocery store, um, pick out some food, get in line, and then get misgendered by someone and then show up at the workshop an hour later. And I've probably been misgendered at least once by the time I show up, right? So I'm carrying that um, activation in my body, that harm, that invalidation, that invisibilization, right? Um, and and so the the I think you phrased it like I'm not quite sure how you phrased it, Amber, but the the fact that we have to affirm ourselves on such a regular, ongoing basis, and then step into holding space to teach. um, Like, that's something we choose to do. But when we're caught off guard with, um, quote unquote, yoga teachers, (laughs) who are cisgendered, um, talking about gender diversity, biological sex, and the gender spectrum, that's really problematic, right? I mean, first of all, I just want to say very clearly that I don't think that um, anyone who's cisgendered, and we're going to define some terms and language in a, in a minute yeah. here, but I don't think that we should be talking about uh, other identities that we don't ourselves hold as lived experience, right? And we shouldn't, I don't think any of us should be positioning ourselves as experts on a certain topic when we don't actually live that experience. Um, that's right. So that's also, you know, a big part of the harm that's being caused here. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Megan, did you want to add something? Yeah. And I think that not I think I know that that podcast was a really good example of just how har- the harm that is caused by people who do not hold those identities are positioning themselves as experts. Um, it causes uh, harm that I have been saying that cisgender folks um, could never fully understand um, that now. that trans and non-binary folks have to we have to carry the weight of of just how much that harm expands just from one conversation that then blows up through the yoga space and beyond um just as many people are that are rebuttaling it there are just as many people you know that are um supporting it Um, so because it, it was fear mongering and because she presents herself as an expert and people who don't have those lived experiences, our identities hold our hold a lot of bias and take her um, words as truth. Yeah. Um, so this is the harm that 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 causes when you position yourself as an expert, when you don't hold the identity that you're speaking to. yeah.
0: yeah that's really important. Thanks for that. So I wonder, um, before we move on to talking about some ways that, um, some, well, before I we move on to our topic, I wonder if we could get some definitions just for folks that are listening, who may not be, um, as familiar with trans issues or the language that surrounds gender. And so I wonder if we can talk about like, what's cisgender, what's transgender and some of those, those sort of, um, definitions that we need to be on the same page before we have this conversation.
2: Yeah. I'll just, before we dive into that, shout out to um, an earlier episode on the Accessible Yoga podcast with M and Pooja, um, who are in the, the Trans Yoga Project and doing similar work to what May is doing. Um, and th- I'm sure that they define some of these terms in that podcast as well. And I just want to say: like if you're listening and this is a new conversation to you, or if you're a yoga teacher, you're looking to hold trans affirming space, you know, go back to that podcast, listen to that episode. It's really important. And all of that to say that. Um, cis is a Latin prefix that means same. So anyone who's cis identifies with the sex that they were assigned at birth. And really, when someone's assigned a sex at birth, it's, it's usually based on external genitalia. And then that assignment is what you take as your gender identity, right? And we carry it through the rest of our lives and are internalizing gender norms and expectations, Um from all directions, right? Mainstream media, our parents, caregivers, um, other peers, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, that one small moment in which we, we, we deliver a baby and say, it's a boy leads to so much um and we're not taught to talk about it dominant culture doesn't teach us to talk about the fact that that's an assignment um and i really want to stress that it, 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 there's no agency there's no autonomy there's no empowerment um you know one of the things that michelle cassandra johnson teaches in her work is that um the culture is toxic and absurd and we're, we're conditioned to not see or name the toxicity or the absurdity. This gender assignment thing that we go through is absurd and toxic um, and and sets it up so that you have to, quote, come out as trans. And that's problematic too, right? That everybody is expected cis until you do the emotional labor to figure out that you're not and then do the emotional labor to come out to the people in your life and hopefully they hold you, you know? Um, all of that to say that trans is is someone who doesn't identify as the sex they were assigned at birth and goes through um, a transitioning experience in, and that could show up in many different ways. You might transition just your name or just your pronouns. Right. You might do some medical procedures to to medically transition. It might be just a social transition, a personal transition. There are different layers and and levels of that. Yeah. Right. Do you want to jump in or Amber? Go ahead.
0: Well, I just wanted to clarify and say, like, would another way to define cisgender just be to simply say someone who's not transgender? Yes. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and I, I, the only reason I name it that way is because I've heard, um, you know, when these issues come up, sometimes cisgender people be like, well, I don't want to be labeled. And it's like, well, that's not a label. That's just literally what you are if you're if you're saying that you're not transgender you're cisgender so it's not a an insult or a weird word or a label or a box it's like just literally the facts like either you're transgender or you're not and if you know that you're not that means you're cisgender
2: is that yes pretty straightforward absolutely (laughs) and it really makes me reflect on the fact that like one of that's a really common argument around like, well, I don't want to be labeled. Why are we creating more labels? Why are we creating more boxes? And I just want to say we're not creating more boxes. We're coming up with different ways to describe the human experience. And it's really important that's right. that we have different language skills, tools to describe the human experience, because that empowers and affirms the experiences that real individuals are having. Right.
1: Yes. 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 And Thank I want to add that that argument is you not unpacking your privilege. You have to know where you stand in in the privileges that you hold. That's really important unpacking that you have to do in order to be a trans and queer and affirming person and also being in the work of anti-racism. Like this is really important for you to understand where your privileges lie. And we have had to live and labels that don't fit us for so long. And so we are yep. coming up with new words um, to expand that for ourselves. And mm-hmm. so I, to me, that that argument is really disrespectful. Yeah. Um, so I just want to name that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for that little sidebar. I just felt like it was important to say since I've heard a lot of cis folks, yeah,
1: thank you you
0: know, get uh, weird about that. And it's just like, y'all don't feel weird. I'm one too. We're cisgender. It's like, <laughs> uh, so, and, and I, I appreciate what y'all said about, you know, for a long time, you've lived in boxes and labels that didn't fit you. And it's important that when we, um, when we learn new things about humanity, when we, uh, when language shifts and evolves, that we uptake the new language and speak about folks in the way that they wish to be spoken about and to affirm, like you said, a, a variety of lived experiences, because most, most of the time, what dominant culture holds up as like the normal way is actually not, it's not universal and it's not um, It's not universally applicable to everybody. So I appreciate that. All right, let's continue with these definitions. So we've talked about cisgender and transgender.
1: What are some other words that come up that we should probably mention here? Um, non-binary is a really important one. Um, A lot of people who are non-binary don't, uh, well, I won't say a lot. Some people who identify as non-binary who are non-binary do not use the word transgender to describe themselves, which is why you'll often see us write trans and non-binary to include all folks that aren't cisgender. Um, But non-binary is anybody who aligns with both man and woman, um, somewhere in between or no gender at all. So it just really is anybody who a, that word feels really good for them (laughs) because these words mean different things for different people. So we also have to understand that, that just because we know somebody's label doesn't mean we really know much about them at all. Um, but it's just anybody who doesn't fit within the binary that we've created, the gender binary we've created of man and woman and how we've conflated that with uh, biological sex. Um, Another really important one that always gets left out that we're trying to affirm more and more are intersex folks. Um, So these are folks who are born with um, different biological elements that aren't in alignment with male or female. There's kind of a mix of different things happening, whether it's within chromosomes, hormones, external genitalia, gonads, things like that. And often what will happen, this is why it's really important to talk about, is that they will be in infancy, they will undergo surgery, uh, really invasive procedures to make them align with the binary of male or female. Um, A lot of times intersex folks will say that they were forcibly assigned male at birth or forcibly assigned female at birth um, because it was done against their will. And um, it's really damaging and harmful, um, not only physically, but psychologically and emotionally. Um, And there's a lot of activism work going around that uh, going on around that, um, that maybe we can link some, um, organizations in the show notes for folks to go support where they're trying to, uh, ban that, um, those type of invasive, um, interventions from being able to happen within medical procedures at all.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, you mentioned assigned female at birth and assigned male at birth. I wonder if y'all could talk about those terms a little.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's really important to stress that this is the current language again that we're using. Right. And, and to honor and respect that language. The reason we say assigned female again is very intentional. Like I did not, I myself, Tristan was not given the choice to figure out my gender. Right. I was assigned female at birth. And so I was socialized female for most of my life. So I'm carrying that socialization in me. Um, versus someone who's assigned male at birth. And so the acronyms are AFAB and AMAB. Um, and again, the, the I just want to stress that like that assignment, like we, we use that language intentionally. And I, I think I've made that clear, but I also want to say that, you know, I internalized this notion that if you were trans, you were either a trans man or a trans woman. I didn't even know that trans non-binary was a thing until the last like five to 10 years, right? Um, And then I had to sort through all kinds of internalizations around transphobia to get to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I'm not a woman. And, you know, and and so to go through the process, I've I've heard, um, I think it was, you know, Susanna Barkataki hosted a a group of trans and non-binary yoga teachers last week. And I think it might have been there that someone said, like. We've already gone through the process of trying to figure out how we feel inside. Gender identity is an internal felt sense of who we are. It's not something that someone can be assigned. Like, And so if we've already gone through the process, through the mess of self-discovery to come out as trans non-binary, then we know ourselves pretty damn well, right? And I think it's important to trust people when they tell you who they are and then respect and honor what you hear and the language that you, that they want to use, um, and, and that they want to hear. And so whenever we misgender someone, when we use incorrect pronouns, when we make assumptions about people's gender identities, we're really invalidating people's personhoods, their humanity. Um, and I think that's something that goes on a lot in yoga spaces, totally unintentionally as a result of, of, of cis heterosexual normativity. Um, and the culture around like black and white thinking, either or thinking you're either a man based on this or a woman based on that. And I think part of the conversation that we need to be having at this point is, you know, as Megan and I are doing in our work, is how do we create spaces that affirm everyone, regardless of their gender identity, regardless of their gender presentation, regardless of their sexual orientation, all of those three things are three different Things and we can't be moving through spaces making assumptions that everyone in the room is heterosexual or everyone in the room is cisgendered. You know, if there's one of us, there are more of us, and we're out there in all spaces, and we might not be comfortable being out. But the way for us to become more comfortable, become safer in claiming ourselves, is for this conversation to be normalized and for the affirmation to be normalized.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so important. Um, I wonder if we could talk about the gender binary, you know, um, and where it sort of came from. I think that, you know, origins are are important to how we go on. And of course, you know, you've you've both mentioned several times like socialization as a, a big aspect of gender and what we expect from gender and and that whole notion of like you can tell someone's gender by looking at them, which we know you can't. You know, like all of those things are things we're taught. And so I wondered if y'all would talk about that um, a little bit. I know that some folks see like trans issues as like something new that just happened the past few years. and so. Uh,
1: i'd like to to hear a little about that from you Ooh, so much to say (laughs) um i always talk about and i've done quite a bit of research around this how the the sex gender binary uh, and what we know it to be today it was created uh, well it was I'll say this, it was perpetuated further into policy and action um, shows up right around uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, actually. Um, And a little bit before that, it was starting to become more perpetuated, um, but it was re- it's really used to have power over race um so the gender binary as we've been taught it and we could really get into the history but we don't have enough time for that um you can do some research or join some workshops on it i'll be hosting some soon but um it Says that a man is supposed to act um, in these ways, and it is indicative of uh, white men that white men uphold these stereotypes. And same thing with uh, women that the standards for a woman is that of a white a white woman. Um, and while you know it was meant so that white men, white, cis, straight men always had, uh, the power. Um, and so we, we do, you know, have that, the sexism and misogyny between white men and, and white, white, cis men and white, cis women, um, white cis women now have way more uh rights and access than black cis women do because of the gender binary and so when we see white cis women um speaking out in ways that are entirely uh transphobic it's it's inherently racist as well um because these things are interlinked and i also always say that in order to for us to really be in the work of black liberation, we also have to be in the work of dismantling the gender binary because they are linked, they are one, they were created um, together, race race, and as a social construct which became very much is now a very real thing. Um, same thing with gender, a social construct that now has become a really real thing that have dire consequences, right? So. Um, they they go hand in hand, so it's just really important to name that.
2: And I'll also say that um, the gender binary affects all of us, regardless of where we identify on the gender spectrum, right? Like, like, like May was was um, referencing cis women have experienced disadvantages, oppression, marginalization, disenfranchisement. Um, we know that's a real thing. You know, white cis men, as much as they've benefited from the systems of, of power, um, have also been impacted by the systems of power and have been um, disconnected from emotions, for example, like toxic masculinity. We know these things are a thing, right? Um dismantling the gender binary ultimately allows for us all to experience greater freedom and liberation. We're not, and when we talk about dismantling the gender binary, we're not trying to um, disempower anyone on the gender spectrum. We're trying to free everyone who's impacted by gender norms and gender expectations, which is all of us, right? Even if we're not trans. Um, And uh, some of the stuff that I've read is like, uh, you know, cross-dressing, like there were all these laws early on in the construction of the United States around, um, around co- cross-dressing in order to keep men in their place and women in their place. And like, n- this goes way back. Um, and again, it is it is oppressive and it's also empowering folks at the same time, just disproportionately, right? Much like white supremacy, right? Like we're all impacted by white supremacy. White folks are benefiting um, and, and it's all happening disproportionately, right? Based on the other intersections of identities that we hold. Um, but it's really important as May was saying that we understand the way in which gender and racialized identity are, are tied together and, and that that intersection, I mean, that's what intersectionality was all about when Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term, right? Was understanding that like white women are having a very different experience than black women as one example. Um, and then you know that really leads me in my mind to thinking about the fact that like, and this is part of the underlying conversation that goes on in certain transphobic environments. Um, that I'm like I'm like slowing down. I can I can feel myself slowing down to get really clear about what I'm trying to say. But the idea that you can't change your sex, you can only change your gender. So the, the argument, say that that J.K. Rowling is making, you know, in, in mainstream media um, is that trans women are still men according to their biology. But that's false because the whole concept of whether you're a man or a woman it has nothing to do with genitalia or chromosomes. Those are constructs. So trans women are women, right? Um, and it's really important that we that we that we that we slow down and get clear about that. and and it's not about stealing anything from cis women. It's about empowering us all to be free to be who we are outside of these constructs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for
1: that. Megan, did you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, and I think a lot of the argument that's coming from um, cis women is that we are trying to erase women um which is a problematic thing to say in and of itself because we know there's so many ways to being a woman but we are expanding um what it means to be a woman and also beyond a woman right we now have like names for i think it's around 64 different genders outside of the binary of man and woman and how exciting is that um And I also, you know, want it to be known that we, before we have the gender binary the way we know it to be now, um, there's a really good book written on this called. of course, right in the moment I forget. It's by Thomas liquor I think it's called "Making Sex." Thank it's you. It's okay.
2: We'll add it to it the is. internet. When when notes, looking at your notes, <laughs> "Making Sex."
1: Yes. Um, he calls it the "One Sex Theory," where before we, you know, came into the knowing of the gender binary or the way that they perpetuated it, um, women were men with inverted penises they weren't seen as everybody was one sex um and of course they used the way that their bodies were to discriminate against them still very much so um but that wasn't working then and so they changed it in a way that worked for them which meant how do we make sure we uphold power right but now we're getting to a place where we're we're understanding this is no longer working. So it has to shift and change again. And so everything has to shift, which is a lot, because everything we've known has been created in the gender binary. So it's shaking up a lot. And the fear that's coming up from a lot of people is really rooted in the fear, I believe, of losing their, their access, their privileges and making room for more people. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Tristan, did you want to jump back? Yeah.
2: I just also wanted to say, you know, transness as a, as a human experience has existed long before any of these other things, right. Um, if you start looking into the, the the history of gender, you'll see that there are people across cultures, continents that, that have have been on some level gender expansive, gender diverse, gender non conforming long before we got entrenched with these constructs in our in our culture and day to day life, and in other cultures. People who were were trans, I'm using it in quotes because that's not the language that they've used or are currently using, even though maybe now, um, they were, people were celebrated as, as, as spiritual leaders, you know, they were the ceremony holders, the space holders, the, um, yeah, I, yeah.
1: And it's through the act of colonization that these folks, uh, became erased and their own cultures, their own countries. Um, and so a lot of cultures are working to reclaim those, um, those identities that they've always had, um, but lost access to because of assimilation because of colonization. Um, there are several (laughs) all over the world. Um, we have, you know, I'll name a few, we have two spirit folks, which is an umbrella term for, um, all indigenous people that um are outside of the binary whether it be within their sexual orientation or their gender identity or if they're intersex um they may call themselves two-spirit but in their own tribes or nations they'll have different uh words or understandings of their gender based on their language and their beliefs because native american people are not a monolith um Each tribe or nation has very different beliefs and cultural practices and and whatnot. But um, yeah, in their uh, tribes and nations um, before colonization and even through it, they uh, were mostly seen as spiritual leaders. Uh, I've heard them be called the glue of their tribe. Um, They led spiritual ceremonies. They're really revered. They're honored. They are sacred. Um and a lot of tribes and nations are working now to reclaim those as well Um, a lot of harm and damage has been done where there there has been internalized transphobia within the tribes and the nations to where um now two-spirit folks are discriminated discriminated against um by their own people um and that's not harm that they caused it was harm that was done to them so it's not their fault um there's also i know in um Traditional Jewish texts that they honored six genders, um, and we have hijras in India, uh, bisu's in Indonesia. I mean, they're everywhere. So it's really important. Thank you, Tristan, for for mentioning that. It's really important for everybody to understand that trans folks and like. Tristan was saying, we, we wouldn't have the need for a word, the word trans if there weren't the gender binary. So Mm -hmm. they wouldn't call they may not call themselves transgender, but we, we, there's been, um, gender expansive folks all over the world and, and all different cultures since the beginning of time. Um, this is not new. Uh, we are working to reclaim what has always been. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, um, just naming the fact that like human variability is the norm. (laughs) There have been people of different shapes and sizes and genders and races and abilities and all of that stuff since the beginning of time. And so, you know, while this may be a conversation that's become front and center in more recent years, it's certainly not new and it's certainly not something that, you know, um, that's just popped up. And so I encourage everybody to check out the show notes. We're going to link to some of the resources and the, the reading that, um, our guests are talking about today. And if you'd like to get some more education, you'll find some information there. So one talking point, um, that I know, or one narrative I know that comes up a lot is about, you know, trans folks basically like being in the wrong body and it's all about changing the body or something. And I wondered if y'all could speak to that a little bit in, um,
2: and why that's a narrative that's that's harmful? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're like Megan and I are pointing at each other. <laughs> like you talk. No, you talk. Um, I think you know uh, the, the 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 thought that um, it all comes down to quote being in the wrong body is really missing the point about gender because, um, as I said earlier, gender is an internal felt sense of who we are. The body is just like a, a place a, a place where gender is taking place, right? And and The thing is, is that some trans folks might feel the need to shift their body to affirm how they feel inside. And so they'll seek out gender affirming medical procedures or hormone um, procedures. And not all trans folks feel that they need to shift any part of their physical body in order to feel affirmed in who they are in terms of their gender identity. And so when we focus on the wrong body metaphor, quote unquote, we're really missing the nuanced experience of transness and the way that that transness can show up differently for each of us. And, and I just think it misses the point about what gender is. It perpetuates a one dimensional narrative that all trans people are having the same experience, which isn't true. Um, and, in, and then, you know, as someone who is trans uh, and non-binary, um, I start to think that I need to change my body in order to be more accepted as a trans person. But that's right. not true at all. Right. Like, right. I just need to say who I am and people need to hear me and respect what it, what it is they're hearing. Um I may want to have a medical procedure. That's up to me. It shouldn't have anything to do with my, how people perceive me in terms of my gender identity or how I feel in terms of my gender identity. And I think, you know, one thing I'll say in terms of like additional resources and and further learning though, I could write up like several pages on it, um, is the movie disclosure on, on Netflix, which, um, Laverne Cox, uh, produced and, I'll say that the, the, the documentary really um, depicts the, the binary understanding of the trans experience. There aren't many non-binary um, stories in that documentary. However, it's really helpful in terms of understanding that mainstream media, Hollywood in particular, has, has perpetuated this story um, that, that men just wanna put on women's clothing. Um, or that, uh, you know, women just want to wear suits and that means they're, they're trans. Right. Um, and, and it's also the movie shows the way in which Hollywood has perpetuated this, this fear of anyone who, who crosses gender norms and expectations and the way in which anyone who crosses gender norms and expectations has been like a, a, a source of a joke. So like they use, um, the documentary cites um, *Silence of the Lambs* as like the perfect example in which, you know, the 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 scary villain in the whole movie. I mean, there's there's two villains. Let's be real, but but one of the villains is is this you know maniac who wants to wear women's skin on his body, like therefore saying that like trans people are really scary, dangerous, and actually want to take skin off of you know what i'm saying like like sure we can isolate it down to this one thing and be like wow that was a creative interpretation of of gender expansion but it's not it's not one thing it's a whole series of stories that we've all been shown on the television throughout history throughout the history of television throughout the history of media um telling us that trans people are scary they're weird um they're, you know, anti-society, they're anti-culture, um, they're people to be afraid of, they're people to feel threatened by, um, you know, and then as I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, God, it sounds a lot like what we're taught about as a white person, what I've been subtly taught about black people, right? Like, yep. across the street, when you see a black person coming, because you never know, I mean, right. the same narrative can be put on on trans people like when you see a man who's got i'm saying man in quotes who's got Mm -hmm. facial hair but is wearing a dress like we don't know how to make sense of him, quote unquote. So like, let's keep our distance and like they, they become the weirdo. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think
0: it's. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and one of the things, uh, you know, I hear you talking about that, like showing a, a one dimensional representation of a marginalized identity is really dangerous because it can promote these kind of harmful narratives and goes right back to the binary that we're trying to like, you know, expand and get away from. And I, i think that you know one of the ways that dominant culture with withholds value from marginalized folks is by denying us any sort of positive or accurate representation in media in the stories we tell in the books and magazines and ads and everything that is the um, the sort of stuff we're marinating in and that we're socialized about. And so, you know, when we when we talk about these topics and we fight for better representation and more, you know, more language to describe our experiences and all that, it's not even about like, oh, we just don't want to hurt these sensitive people's fifis. Like, it's not about being politically correct. It's about like, are you OK with the fact that we live in a society where a very few people who already have the most privilege and power get to tell us like what these people with these types of bodies and you can put that into disabled folks, uh, people of color, fat folks, like any marginalized identity where by looking at someone, we're then supposed to be able to judge their value or their worth or their safety or Or their their danger, right? That like that harms every single one of us. And we should all be interested in divesting from that and increasing representation that's accurate to people's lived experiences and shows us all in, you know, positive light and successful light and and the 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 darker sides of our existence, just like cisgendered, straight, white people, you know, the people with the most privilege have grown up seeing those images of themselves being represented. So I know we weren't really talking about that, but it just occurred to me when you were, you were discussing this sort of like trans folks in the wrong body narrative that, you know, each of us can start to notice like where that sort of where is the the one dimensional representation or the stereotype
2: showing up? And are you questioning that when you see it? Yeah, I mean, how many of us have internalized that our body is wrong, right? Messaging around that our body should be different, that we need to make it different, that we need to do X, Y and Z in order to change our, our natural physical shape and form, right? Um, well, none of us are in the wrong body. <laughs> that, that's, that's toxic dominant culture, right? That's white supremacy. That's capitalism. That's cis patriarchy, um, none of our bodies are wrong. Yeah.
1: And yeah. And I also want to add that you know, that narrative that you can't be trans unless you feel like you were born in the wrong body is really harmful to trans folks. Um, I didn't start questioning my gender until about nine months ago because my whole life I knew like being called a girl or, and as I got older, being called a woman, it just didn't feel right. I didn't feel right in women's spaces. Um, I always thought it's because I'm queer and I've been, you know, out and in living into my queerness for a long time. Um, but because I didn't grow up thinking I was in the wrong body, then I just assumed, well, I can't be transgender, you know? So, um, and because of, because the only Uh, like we're speaking to the only representation I was saying, because I grew up in Oklahoma, and people who are different in any way have to leave to survive. Um, I didn't have access to transgender folks in my daily life or anywhere near me. So the only representation I'm seeing are what's on TV. And very much like what you all are talking about those stereotypes, and I learned or I internalized rather, that Uh, trans people are quote unquote freaks. And I'm having to undo that within myself so I can come into my knowingness of who I am. Um, And it comes up for me every single day as I explore my gender identity and, and visualize like what the ways I would want to express my gender identity. And I'm coming up against a lot of hardships around that. And a lot that I have to dismantle within me because of these stereotypes and because of how we've been taught that, you know, transgender folks are just people who feel like they're in the wrong body when it's, we're so much, gender is so much more expansive than that narrative, Um, you know? And I also like to say that our language doesn't, we don't have language yet, or, or rather say our, understanding of gender is evolving a lot faster than our language can keep up with. So mm. we don't have words and I don't know that we ever can or will um, to really understand the vastness of gender identity and gender expression and everything that goes into that and all the ways in which somebody can experience uh, being trans or being non-binary or whatever the case may be and every single person's own interpretation of what that means to them is different right so there's many uh, combinations of gender identities as and expressions as there are stars in the sky and more so i'd like to talk
0: a little bit about something that seems to always come up when we talk about trans folks lately which is transgender folks in sports and megan i wonder if you could speak to that a little bit um I know this is
1: something y'all are passionate about. (laughs) Very much so. Um, There's a lot to be said about it. And um, there are, I don't know how many bills uh, that are, and being put through legislation right now are being voted on i don't know how many of them exactly are focused on sports but um there are 82 total anti-trans bills um around uh the nation a lot of them attacking uh, our trans youth being able to play on the sports teams that align with their gender identity um being able to play on teams that align with your gender identity is affirming and affirming being affirmed in your gender is life-saving. Um so I'll start with that. Um, and so for these bills to if they were to be voted on and passed would um, essentially put a lot of our youth in very much harm's way. Um, and we're already seeing that depression at rates and suicide rates and trans youth are going up just from the stress of these bills, even, even being, um, you know, introduced, um, biology is not fixed. Our biology and our bodies are forever changing and they can be altered for sure. Um, The way that we are policing trans girls and trans women in sports is the way that we police black women, black cis women in sports. It's very much racially motivated. Um, So we have a problem with trans women, having an advantage, but we don't have a problem with a white cis man named Michael Phelps having an advantage. We have a problem with a black woman, cis woman from South Africa. I think her name is Castor Semenya. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, We have a problem with her naturally high testosterone levels. So we tell her that she can't compete, but Michael Phelps, totally fine. Right. So it's really important to name that this uh, these policies are are policing race as well. And um these bills, if passed, will force anybody who is um, assumed to be trans or accused, accused, I'll put that in quotes, accused of being trans, will have to undergo very invasive interrogations of their bodies, um, whether they're cis or trans. I also like to say too, I hear, you know, conversations. I I was around people this weekend where I was having to overhear these conversations. Um, Well, trans women will be in, in, uh, you know, women's locker rooms. First of all, trans women are women. Um, Nobody's concerned about how trans women may feel. Um, Also nobody's concerned about trans men because they're not, quote, unquote, a threat to the sport. Um, So it's just science tells us that biology is not fixed and that it changes over time and that it can be altered and changed. (laughs) <laughs> the narratives that we're hearing around sports are fear-mongering and they're not backed by science or evidence in any sort of way or any sort of facts. Um, a really great person to follow on this, his name is Skyler. His handle on Instagram is at Pink Manoray and we'll link it in the show notes. Um, he is a trans uh, man that is, I, I believe he's a swimmer. Um, okay. He does a lot of education around, around these topics and he does a lot of research around them. And um, I would say follow him and support him in any way that you can to learn more. And that's a great place to start. Um, Read articles that are written by the people who are experiencing the harm. (laughs) Um, Read unbiased information about it. Um, And I just really want people to understand that these narratives go beyond just sports teams. Um but that they have dire consequences and that these bills are attacking our children, our youth, um, the place where they should be affirmed (laughs) so they can be celebrated into adulthood being who they are. Um, now we're telling our youth that they aren't worthy, that they aren't real. Um, and it's incredibly dangerous and lives will be lost if these bills are passed. So, um, really have, it's really heavy to talk about, but there's no way to not make it heavy because this is the truth.
0: Yeah. It's life or death for people. Yes, you know? it absolutely so. is. Thank you. Thanks for speaking to that. Tristan, do you have anything you wanted to add?
2: No, I'm not, I'm not a big, like, I, I, yeah, I I don't really have much to add on the topic of the sports thing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I I really appreciate y'all, um, spending time with us today and talking about so many important, um, topics. And I wonder as we wrap up the conversation in the next few minutes, uh, what else would you add? Is there anything else that is really tugging on your heart at this point that you'd like to share with, with who's listening?
2: Yeah, I want to share a few things. One is, you know, we didn't talk about like the tangible action steps you can take to make your space safer for trans folks. Um, I also say that, you know, we can't guarantee safety for everyone, and claiming a space as inherently safe is not something that we can do. Um, we can create safer spaces, more affirming spaces. Um, we didn't talk about those action steps because. We all need to be in this learning and we're not going to cover it in an hour long conversation. Um, that podcast episode I referenced that Jivana did with and with Puja um, several months back is a good place to start. Taking a workshop is a good place to start reading some articles. There is a lot of stuff out there. Um, go, you know, go learn. Um, and the other thing I will say is to me, this is yoga. Like this is ahimsa, a right? This is non-harming. Um, this is in the practice of being in relate, right relationship across lines of difference. This is um, non-stealing. If we want to take it there, like not stealing something from someone, I'm not talking about a physical object. I'm talking about I'm talking about an internal experience. I'm talking about um, the empowerment, the autonomy, the agency to define who we are. It should be up to each of us and not up to culture, not up to other individuals. Um, So, you know, we're talking about self-study in terms of um, figuring out our gender identity in the first place and then um, self-study to understand the ways in which we're carrying implicit bias and internalizations and the assumptions we're making about other people. To me, everything that we've talked to in the last hour or so relates to the practices of yoga. And so... Um, We have to be doing this work, um, whether we're yoga teachers or students or not. Um, And to me, it ties directly into the practice. And the last thing I'll say is this. um, Every time I've had this conversation over the last couple of weeks since that Podcast interview came out. I have been dysregulated. I have have had to take extra good care of myself, which has been a really big challenge. My body starts to shake. I mentioned earlier, I cried to two random people on Zoom last week. Like this is not easy. Um, it's healing for me to have these conversations. I want to be having these conversations. It's necessary. I have signed up to do this work, um, and. When we have this kind of harmful stuff out there in the yoga community, I'll also say, like, here we are, Megan and I, laboring over these public statements and accountability processes, and we're getting criticism from cis folks in the yoga community about whether or not we're doing it, quote, right. Um, whether or not we're bringing too much attention to the people who are causing the harm. Um, you know, I am tired of, of of standing up for trans rights and being criticized. By cis folks about the way I'm doing it, quote wrong. Um, I'm tired of of seeing stuff on the internet from cis folks saying something is or is not transphobic. Like these things are not okay. Um, when we talk about equity, uh, we talk about centering the needs of those most impacted, and that is what this work is 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 requiring of us. Um, to me, that's what yoga is inviting us to do, um, and. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Like I may end up canceling a workshop I'm supposed to teach this weekend because the idea of stepping in as a teach to teach this after two weeks of fighting it and living it is like, I don't think I can do it. Um, And that's a privilege that I hold to be able to be like, I don't think I can do it. I'll just cancel the workshop like and I'm also experiencing both the privilege and the outright oppression and the violence, you know, and violence and harm. These are words that we throw around a lot. They're big words. Um, but, but anything that is transphobic that is perpetuating transphobia is violent. Right. Um, so I think I'm satiated now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Megan, how about you? What are you, what
0: final
1: thoughts you want to leave us? With? Um, a couple of final thoughts. So, um, I always say, you know, I'm always unpacking my privileges and the responsibilities that I hold within those privileges. And, um, please be learning from other educators who hold different identities and intersectionalities and marginalizations, um, than I do, um, than other folks do, right. Really be learning from everybody's unique lived experience. You cannot learn enough. Um, there will always be more to unpack. There will always be more to learn. There will always be more actions you can take. So please listen to all the voices. And I wonder if in the show notes, if we can list some more educators, um, and then also, uh, support yoga teachers that are trans and non-binary of all different identities, support them, not have them on your podcast or in your workshops, not only just to talk about trans inclusion, they are whole, we are whole people. Um, hire them because they're great at what they teach and what they do and the joy that they bring. And because your, uh, space is better with them in it. Um, also, you know, surrounding, I think it's really important to leave you with that. Um, if you're a cisgender and you're weaponizing the term cancel culture, please stop. Um, we've heard a lot of that from our statement um, because we have moved you know more into divesting Um, from this person and his podcast and also the person who was on the podcast and all of their teachings, um, because they were, they refused to be held accountable. And, and from our first statement, there isn't a, there is a process to accountability, right? So this is an accountability process. It is not cancel culture. Whenever somebody refuses to be held accountable, they are therefore dangerous to the folks that they have been harming. And so we have to divest to protect our community and you have to stand and in solidarity with us. If you say that you are an ally, um, it's an accountability process. It is not cancel culture. So please stop. I think that's it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I'll just say, you know, to the other cis folks who may be listening to this thinking like, well, y'all are going about it wrong, including, you know, this podcast or whatever. Um, okay. What are you doing? That's my question, you know, for all of us, and I'm including myself as a cisgender white woman in this conversation, you know, What am I doing? What are each of us doing to further educate ourselves about lived experiences that are different than our own? What are each of us doing? uh, Those of us who are space holders, whether that's a yoga teacher or some kind of fitness professional or a community builder of some kind, what are we doing to make sure that our spaces are feel safer, feel more welcoming, feel more affirming to everyone that comes through the doors? And what are we doing to see the, the fullness of our students' humanity and really honor all of those parts of that humanity so no one feels oh I gotta like leave this part of myself outside to belong here you know how can we be an inquiry with this stuff and not you know do what's easy which is a knee-jerk reaction to be like well if that was me I would have done it different okay good go do it different and use your privileges and your unique positioning in in culture and your influence as it may be um, small or large to go make the difference in the change that you want to see And take that energy and go put it into, um, rather than criticizing folks who are already out there putting this effort, put that energy into making change that you want to see and put that effort into educating yourself and maybe put some effort into being an inquiry with the idea of like, why do I feel like I need to criticize this process rather than get involved in a way that makes sense for me. And so I'll just invite all of us into that sort of, you know, uncomfortable space of, of evaluating, like, where do we fit in? And I think as anyone that holds a privileged identity, um, Whether that's through the color of your skin or your ability or the the money that you have or your education, wherever your social location is, we each hold some sphere of influence and some we each have some platform even if we're not some celebrity on Instagram we still have those people in our lives who we can speak directly to and we can start to make that small incremental change and like that's what social justice is y'all it is really about being able to show up as who you are with your various list of privileges and identities and speak to those people that are like you who look like you and have a background like you and can understand what you're saying to make that change in the way that you know how. And so, I just want to encourage each of us that are listening to to sit with that and to decide, you know, what are you willing to do to help make space for everyone? What are you willing to to give up, to divest to say, to risk? to really be an ally. And I think that's a, a tough question. And it's one that I think we have a responsibility to as folks who, who hold more privilege in this world. And so maybe we'll just leave it there. Um, I'd like to encourage y'all to uh, check out the show notes to get uh, into the work of both of our wonderful guests today. And before we go, I wonder if y'all would just um, say, is there anything coming up that you want to encourage folks to check out? We'll link to everything in the show notes. But um, anything Anything you're excited about that you want to talk about at the end here. Workshops, uh, yeah. stuff like that.
2: I mean, we. I think uh, I've got stuff every single month on. Creating trans-affirming spaces, mainly for yoga teachers. So I'll just say that my my events are always on my website, um, and um, I'm putting out a couple things that have nothing to do with trans identity, but also very much to do with social justice because the marketing work that I do is very justice focused. So um, I'll share that I'm I'm putting out a webinar, digital marketing 101 for yoga and wellness professionals. That'll be available on my website in this month in April, depending on when this comes out, um, and a complimentary resource for that is a social media marketing workbook slash guidebook um, It's almost 100 pages on how to show up on social media, how to create effective content, how to grow your work um, beyond the, like, here's my class schedule um, post that we see so often. And there are justice considerations woven throughout around accessibility, around trans liberation, um, around the moments of, of heightened political situations and how we handle those in terms of our marketing, et cetera, et cetera. All of that to say that these marketing tools will be available soon and we'll tie into a course that I'll be teaching this summer more about that coming in the near future
0: (laughs) awesome
1: Megan what about you um I have a workshop called queer and trans affirmation through heart language and action that I just taught last weekend that I'll most likely put out again within the next month um I'm also in the process of creating a, a a workshop slash training um, that's specifically for movement professionals on creating uh, trans affirming spaces um, with both within your language, but within your actions and how that pertains to movement. Um, I'm trying to think what else I'm up to. You can just follow me on the Instagram.
2: What <laughs> about your Patreon? What about your Patreon, <laughs>
1: Kristen, I have a Patreon that I'm very excited about. and I can't believe it slipped my mind. It's called a uh, Liberate Learning Community, and uh, it's it, it's kind of a deeper dive from my Instagram. I put a lot of time and effort and energy and research into what, the content I put out on my Instagram and um, the. Uh, liberate Learning Community on my Patreon is where we're re- we really unpack it together. And um, we're, we're learning in community. And I offer different things every month. And as the community grows, so will the offerings. Um, it's inclusive of... Uh, it's price inclusive, meaning that no matter which tier you join, you get the same as everybody else. Um, so... Come join me over there. I think the link is patreon.com/slash liberate LC. You can learn more about it and join there.
0: All right. Awesome. Thank you both for your time today and all of your wonderful work. I'm so glad we got to add your perspectives to this conversation. And uh, yeah, everyone, please check out the show notes so you can learn what Megan and Tristan are up to. Thank you all. We're gonna Thank leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. There's an interest list up at AccessibleYogaTraining.com that you can join. The next section of this training will run May 10th through the 24th with enrollment opening on May 3rd. The Accessible Yoga Training Online is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga and allows you to design multiple level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more from our team of Accessible Yoga Trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go over to AccessibleYogaTraining.com and sign up for the interest list. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jeevana that will help make your classes and learning spaces more accessible. So whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next, why not spend this spring developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leave your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the interest list now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Leave us a review on the podcast, subscribe, let us know your feedback. We really appreciate it and it helps us to make this better every single week. We'll be taking a short break soon while we prepare prepare for season two, but we love hearing from you and knowing what questions or topics you'd like us to discuss. Leave us feedback at AccessibleYogaTraining.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Thanks.